0: Well, good morning, Sunbury City Church. My name is Chapin Jones. I'm the Sealers Grove Church Planner. And it's just my joy this morning to be able to open up God's Word as we continue our series in the Psalms. Uh, So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have one on your phone, I invite you to flip to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's Okay. In the pew right in front of you, you can see there's a a Bible that you can use for the service. And you can actually take that Bible home if you would like. We would love for you to take it. And uh, if you're looking for Psalms, just open up the Bible right in the middle. And you're looking for the big 146. And that's where we'll be at this morning. Uh, So I I don't know if you ever heard or been to a flea market. Uh, A flea market by its definition is that Idea of one man's trash is another man's treasure. Uh, So, growing up, my dad loved going to flea markets. And really, I didn't really care about it, right? Like, it wasn't my cup of tea. The idea of just going through old, rusted tools and looking for like obscure, valuable antiques never really excited me as a kid. But that was what he did. And I think he was trying to find a way for me to go. So one day, he came to me, and I was about 10 years old, and he said, Chapin, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe what's going to be at the flea market now, kangaroos. I was like, kangaroos? He's like, I want a kangaroo. So he's like, well, let's go to the flea market then. So sure enough, that Saturday morning, got up all excited, and we went to look for kangaroos, right? Now, he was sifting through like old fishing stuff and old valuables, and My eyes were peeled looking for the kangaroo man. Well, about two hours after going through the flea market, it was time to leave. So we hopped in the truck and went home. And I remember riding back home and I asked him, I was like, hey, can we come back next week? I was like, maybe the kangaroo man will be back. He's like, yeah, of course, we'll go next week. So this really went on for a few years. Like every Saturday, I was faithful to the flea market and I was faithful to looking for kangaroos. Like it never crossed my mind that they were not any kangaroos. So fast forward a few years towards like the end of high school, I'm about like 16 now, 17. And we were just like nonchalantly talking one night and he just started laughing. He's like, do you remember me telling you about those kangaroos at the flea market? I was like, yeah. He's like, I can't believe I pranked you all those years. And you know, everybody in the living room was just laughing. And you know, at that point, I didn't really come to full terms with that there was no kangaroos yet. Like there's like a little piece inside of me that believed that if I showed up to the flea market, that one day that there will be a kangaroo that I get to buy and get to keep. But, you know, after I went through like the pain and the closure of knowing that there was no kangaroos, you know, I started laughing and chuckling with them. And as I thought about that, I was like, why on earth for so long did I think that there was a kangaroo at a flea market. Like out of all the places in the world, a kangaroo at the flea market should have, it should never come to your mind. But for me, it did. And thinking about that, there's really one reason that I kind of boiled it down. And really, I had no framework that my dad would just pull a prank on me. Like, I completely trusted that my dad was telling the truth when that there was a kangaroo at the flea market and I could get one. I completely believed him. I, I, to put it simply, I trusted him. Right? I had no framework that he would lie to me about kangaroos. And, and I know me not getting a kangaroo at a flea market, it's kind of a light story, it's a prank, and maybe I get to use that one day on my kids. Uh, but if we begin to pull the layers back, Pull the layer back a little bit about trust. We begin to realize that what we put our trust in, is kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Like, it's easy to put our trust into someone and to give it to them. But immediately when that betrayal happens, isn't that painful? Like, losing trust in someone, it's just so hard to recover that. So often in our lives, we we find different avenues, different people, different things to put our trust in just for it to be like that double-edged sword just to betray us. And I think we can all, with a crowd like this, we can take the rest of our time here this morning and just share stories of people breaking our trust. So if we're gonna look at what on earth can we truly put trust in and know that there's not going to be some kind of betrayal that we can have full confidence in, that's what we're going to see in our psalm this morning. So I think a really helpful question for you to kind of process as we go through our psalm right now is is this question. Who or what are you putting your trust in? Like you're just giving it all to them. So with our main point, we'll look at that here right now. Our main point will be this. What we put our trust in is where we will get our source of life. Where we put our trust in is where we'll get our source of life. Thankfully, our psalm is going to show us the more that we begin to put our trust in the Lord and rely on the Lord. We're actually taking from His fountain. We're drinking from His water for our lives. And it's going to be a very joyful psalm for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 146, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. We stand when we read God's word because we want to, we believe this is God speaking to us. And we want to stand out of reverence and respect. And we want to hear from God this morning. So Psalm 146, starting in verse 1. says this, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them. Who keeps faith forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed. And who gives food to the hungry. Verse 8. The Lord sets his prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion. To all generations, praise the Lord, and all God's people say, "Ladies and gentlemen, you may be seated." So this summer, we've been going through the Psalms, and we've really been trying to answer the question: How can you and I find joy in the Lord? And a really neat thing about the psalms is that these psalmists are writing with pure emotion. These psalms that we read are just authentic. So we can learn from their emotions how we can find joy in the Lord. And really a common thing that we've seen early on in our series is that finding joy in the Lord in desperate times, right? Seems like the last like five or six psalms these psalmists have been in. In difficult seasons, they are broken, they are desperate. Well now, in Psalm 146, we made a shift. These these Psalms from 146 to 150, they call them the the Hallelujah Psalms. The Psalms of praise. And the reason why they do that, from 146 to 150, they all will start with the same verse. Verse 1 will all begin the same. They all will start with, praise the Lord. So really, as we think about Psalm 146, we need to see, all right, why are we going to praise the Lord? And we really kind of start seeing that in verses 1 and 2. Kind of the psalmist laying this foundation for us. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me again. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So right here, you see that foundation the psalmist is laying, right? Right now, this psalm is about praising the Lord. And two things are happening. He's reminding himself to praise the Lord. And now, thousands of years later, he's reminding us that we too should be praising this Lord. Should be singing to him. We should praise him for all of our lives. But maybe you're here this morning. And that idea of praising God doesn't really fancy you. Maybe you've been on the edge of like, do I want to trust in this God? Can I really love this God? Is he really deserving of praise and worship? I feel and I think in my prayer for us this morning as we'll see in our psalm, this psalm is just going to be a beautiful plea. A beautiful plea for you and for me to just go all in. Just go all in to the Lord to put your trust in him, to praise him, because he is so big, he is so awesome, and he is absolutely deserving of it, church. But before we get there, the psalmist is actually going to show us what we should not trust to kind of do a little compare and contrast. So that will bring us to our first point this morning. Our warning of the worldly prince, our warning of of the worldly prince. So our psalm is about praising the Lord and we should trust him, right? You, you we'll see that played out throughout the psalm. So, so trust really by definition is to just have a firm reliance on someone. Just you're holding fast to that person. You just trust them. And the psalmist is actually going to give us a negative example of what we should not trust. So if you look at verse three with me says, put not, keyword, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. So what the psalmist is doing is creating this beautiful picture. He took the highest person in society at that time, the prince. And back then, if you look at the prince, right, the the prince had all the money. The prince had all the wealth, they had the livestock, they had the beautiful palace. The prince had it all, they had the power. And if we're to trust in anyone, doesn't it just make sense to trust the one who has it all? Right? Doesn't that make sense? Well, the psalmist is actually going to flip it on its head. Don't trust in this one. He's just a son of man. There's no salvation he can offer you. And I think it's quite interesting the reason why We should be careful and weary about trusting the prince. Because look at verse four. It says when his breath departs he returns to the earth on that very day his plans perish. The reason why we must be weary and the reason why the psalmist is warning us to not put our trust to put our hope to put our salvation in these worldly people is because at the end of the day that there there will be a day that their breath will leave their lungs they could have all the best plans made for you they could have all the things ready to give you but as soon as they're in the ground those plans are gone so if we put all of our eggs in that basket of a man that is just so feeble and fickle, that, that's here today and gone tomorrow, just as they crumble down, we will crumble down with them. Now, now we don't really have a prince here in America, but just a really good comparison and kind of how we can relate here is, is our congressman, our government, uh, the president. You know, the psalm is saying, don't, don't put your salvation on the line on the president or on the government. <laughs> and we really feel that right now. I mean, globally, we're in just this difficult time with COVID. I mean, right now in the Middle East, I mean, every country has, a, has an opinion on how to handle what's happening in Afghanistan. And if we begin, if we're not careful, we can, we can really begin to rely so much so on those people who are in power, who's in charge, who are wealthy, just for them to let us down, just for them to come up short. Church, be careful to not put your hope in your political affiliation, to not put your hope in your president, to not put your hope in your country, because these are just son of men who here here today and gone tomorrow. And what a sober reminder that is for us. Genesis 3.19. Uh, j- just, just listen to, to the reality of who we are. Genesis 3.19 says this. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall Return. The reality is without the mighty hand of God, nothing can exist. He is the author, he is the ruler, he is the sovereign creator, and with without God, everything is nothing. It is just dust. And I don't think the worldly prince has to be a president or a congressman. This worldly prince in our life could be a spouse. This worldly prince can be your children. It could be a boyfriend a girlfriend it could be a close friend really at the end of the day this worldly prince is the one that you're really finding your identity in but I think it's that what the psalmist is not saying is to not trust people God created us to have healthy and good relationships he, he wants us to to trust our spouse he wants us to trust our close friends and neighbors and to have good relationships. But the distinction that we see here in our psalm versus just trusting in our spouse is, and what should be a red flag is like, is that where your hope lies? Is that where your salvation lies? Without that person, are you able to get out of bed or continue on or feel love? Is your identity tied up? Are you trusting in that person instead of trusting in the one who created you? Just a few questions to kind of help diagnose maybe a a misalignment on trust. Uh, One of them is, are you trusting someone to be the source of joy in your life? Are you trusting someone to be the source of love in your life? And are you trusting someone to be just the source of your life? the more that we tie the answers to those questions to worldly things, that is the exact warning that the psalmist is trying to give us for they too will be here today and gone tomorrow. And to be honest, church, this is extremely difficult for me. I mean, if you're around me for just a split second, like I, one of my biggest struggles is I'm a people pleaser. I I tie a lot of my identity up in people affirming me. Like, I've I been backwards for people because I want them to like me. I want them to, to approve of me. Like, this is a good guy. And I'll tell you, like, when I don't get that affirmation, when I put all that trust thinking, like, all right, they're going to give me that. They're going to give me something. They're going to give me some affirmation. When I, when I do that and they don't, I'm devastated, I'm exhausted. It's draining to be a people pleaser. There may be some in here. I may not be the only one, but it is absolutely exhausting. I've put so much trust in people to give me what I think I need. So our psalmist just really bluntly told us, don't trust in people because they'll be gone one day. I mean, it's a hard truth. It's a hard pill to swallow, but that's because of, death that's because of sin but there's a great joy in front of us in our psalm for our psalm will now show us who we should trust in so our second point our hope in the eternal king our hope in the eternal king now typically the way that we try to figure out who you're going to trust in your life there's two things that happens we look at their character and we look at what they do Right? If we look at their character and we look at what they do, you're like, okay, I, I think I could trust you. Then that's kind of what we do. And the psalm is actually going to do something quite similar. He's going to show us who God is and what God does and give you the reason why you should trust him and praise him. So let's do that. Let's look at who God is so that we all can be convinced to put our trust in this eternal king. So the first characteristic of God is that God is a true God. God is a true God. Because look at verse 5. It says, Blessed is he whose help is, is is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. All right, all right, Chapin, like how on earth does this teach me or show me that God is a true God? Well, you gotta think in the context of of Israel and God's people at the time, there was a God for everything. There's a God for the sun, the God for the water, God for beauty, God for harvest. There are so many gods. And how on earth are you ever supposed to know, all right, out of all these gods, it is the true God? Well, God gives him the title, the title of God, the Jacob. And the reason why is that when you go back into Genesis, When he's beginning and establishing his covenant with his people, we see God refer to him as the God of Abraham. Then we see God refer to himself as the God of Isaac. And then as we see in our psalm, the God of Jacob. He's taking figures from each generation showing that from from generation, from generation, from generation, I have been faithful to you. I am the true God. I've been there since the beginning. I've been there who started it all, who's formed this covenant with you. I am faithful. I am true. So when you see that word God of Jacob in scripture, that's the true. That's the Lord. That's the true God. The second thing that we see the psalmist do in describing the character of God is we see God is creator. Look at verse 6. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and that's, that is in them. And, and right there, we can go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. God in his glory and in his power created all things. And all things, he created them good. And, and as we think about that, when, when we have like issues with our car, right? We will we take it to someone who knows how to fix a car. When we, when we have issues with our electronics, we, we take them to someone who knows how to fix your electronics. If you have a sick dog, you will take that dog to the vet, right? Like there's this reality of someone who knows who, what they are and we rely on them. If God is creator, why not go to the Lord with our lives? If he's the one that made it and who sustains all things and who is holding all things, why not trust him, the one who gave you Your life. We do it for everything else. And we should do it with the most important things. The most important thing, which is our life. And then the last characteristic that the psalmist describes of God, we see in verse 6, is that he is a faithful God. God is faithful. Verse 6, who keeps faith forever. And I just love this. Because there is only one being in all of the universe that can be, for, be faithful forever. And that is the one who has always been. The reason why the people that we trust in here on this earth cannot be faithful forever is because death will separate that faithfulness. Death puts a hinge there. But the only one that is above death, who is over death, who rules death, is God. Even death cannot keep God from being faithful. All throughout history, all throughout scripture, time and time and time again, we see God being faithful to his creation. So in God's character and why we should trust him, we see that he is faithful. He is creator and that he is the true God. So hopefully right now, you're, you're starting to, to get a bigger picture of who God is. Wow. Like, I don't know anyone who is a creator or who's always faithful. But hopefully we're starting to develop this big picture of God. And now the psalmist is going to give us seven areas of what God does. And we're actually going to look at all seven. And we're just going to fly over these. And I just want to encourage you, as we go through these seven uh, areas of God's, what God does. Uh, if there's one that just brings great hope to you or great joy to you, share that. Share that over lunch today. Preach that truth of what God does to your heart daily. Uh, there's a lot of, of amazing truths of God here in this psalm. So let's just go ahead and, and dive in to see the actions of God. The first thing the psalmist shows us is that he cares for the oppressed. And we see that right there in verse 7, who executes justice for the oppressed. So those who are being abused, God will seek justice on their behalf. Uh, we, we really see that right now, as Pastor Derek just mentioned earlier on in the service. Uh, the, the, the Christian faith, each day there's this growing tension of oppression we're slowly and slightly feeling it here each day in our country. But right now, it's just full throttle on the other side of the world. Specifically there in Afghanistan. And, and one thing that, that these brothers and sisters who are feeling the oppression of the, the Taliban or the oppression of others. The one great hope that they know, that they can see, is that God will give them justice. This justice may happen in this lifetime. It may happen when this person who's oppressing before when they're just standing before God and his judgment throne. But regardless, we know that God cares for those who are oppressed and he gives justice to those who abuse. The second character or the second action that we see God do is again in verse 7. It says this uh, He feeds the hungry. He feeds the hungry. Verse 7, he says, who gives food to the hungry. So all throughout scripture, we see God either directly or indirectly intervene on people's physical hunger. Either he divinely like gives food or he uses the church. He uses God's people to help feed the hungry. And like I said, we're just doing a flyover. But I really want us to look at one component of hunger that we typically don't talk about. And that's our spiritual hunger. God feeds us spiritually. See, see, we're all born with a maybe like a spiritual belly and there's a void there. And whatever we feed ourselves with, we're trying to find some kind of spiritual relief, right? That, that could be alcohol, it could be money, it could be pornography, it could be your spouse, like it could be good things, bad things. Whatever you feed yourself to find spiritual satisfaction, to try to find life. And actually what we see, the only way to fill this spiritual void within us is what Jesus says in John 6, 35, where he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God gave us his son so that we can be spiritually fed and be spiritually full. So that we can go to Jesus and be satisfied. He feeds the hungry. The third thing that we see God do, again in verse 7, he frees the prisoners. He frees the prisoners. Around in the 1500s and the 1800s, really this world was in a a really dark, dark place. That, That was at the heightened period of the transatlantic slave trade. And what we see throughout that time period, God beautifully raising up men and women to be the voice for the voiceless, to be the voice for the men, the women, and the children who were wrongfully imprisoned. See, church, just right here, all cards on the table, like God does not find any glory in those who are wrongfully imprisoned. He raised many people to speak. On the abolition of the slave trade. To abolish it. He seeks the physical liberation of those who are wrongfully imprisoned. But better yet, an even even greater act of grace and mercy is that God sets us free from the bondage of sin. We're all in prison of of sin and, and death. And the beautiful thing is, like, you may feel like you have this ball of chain, like, on your ankles. Like, like, we do the things that we hate. Like, we're constantly sinning. And you feel the guilt there. You feel the weight there. And the beautiful reality is that he sets prisoners free. Again, it's always back to Jesus. John eight thirty six. So if the Son sets you free, church, you will be free indeed. The weight of sin... Your identity in sin does not have to be you. You can be free from that, where your identity can be a free person as that of a son or daughter of God. Jesus paid your parole. He paid the price that you couldn't pay so that you can be free. Fourth thing that God does, and before we get, before we get on, again, I want to keep encouraging us. We're creating a big picture of who God is right now. Things that only God can do, okay? So let's let's keep framing this work of why we should trust this God. Fourth, he heals the blind. Heals the blind. There in verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And you probably can guess where I'm going with this. In John 9, we see Jesus encounter a man that was born blind. Jesus reaches down. He creates some mud in the dirt and rubs it over this blind man's eyes tells him to go wash it this blind man runs goes wash it and next thing you know this man opens his eyes and now he can see Jesus God literally heals the blind the blind man thought in that moment that his greatest need was to be able to physically see he was born blind he's never seen color he's never seen his parents he's never seen anything but it wasn't until the counter later that we see what the blind man's greatest need was, and that was to see the Savior, was to see the Son of God. Church, that is us. We all may not be born physically blind, but we're all spiritually blind. And our greatest need this morning is to see the Savior. To see Jesus Christ because it is in him where true life is found. Where the true light is where we can be found in him, church. That's our greatest need. Fifth, he gives grace to the humble and love to the righteous. I just love this one. I just love this one. Uh, Verse 8, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down and the Lord loves the righteous. The reason why I love this so much is because so often, and I think we can all say amen to this, is that like we're, we're always finding something to fix ourselves. We're constantly finding a new source to put our trust in, to put our life in. We're always battling with our sin. And then finally we get to this crossroad. And this crossroad is like, are we going to keep trying to figure out ourselves or are we going to finally go to the Lord? And at that moment, when we we go to the Lord, the only thing we can offer is just bow down. To bow down in confession. And when we humble ourselves, we are lowering ourselves down to him. And the beautiful thing about God, and I just love, notice here that God is not pushing us down as if we're some subservient being. But notice what he does. He lifts you up. When you feel weak, when you have nowhere else to go, when you are out of options, when the rope is cut off, whatever you want to describe it. When you are down and you're, you're just there at the Lord, he's not going to push you down, but he's actually lifting you up. He's giving you strength. He's giving you the endurance to push on. What amazing God that is. Not only that, he loves the righteous. For all those who have put their faith in Christ, who's who's put their trust in Christ, who's who's repented of their sins, Christ's righteousness becomes yours. And all that means, all the things that Christ did right, which was perfectly live in the eyes of the Lord. Now, when God, when He lifts you up, He doesn't see the sin, He doesn't see the brokenness, but He sees the blood of His Son. You're loved. And you're cared for. Six. The sixth action that we see of God is he protects the least of these. He protects the least of these. In verse 9 it says, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. And when we look at that list of people, the sojourner which is like a foreigner, the widow, the fatherless, those are messy, messy situations. The reason why someone's a foreigner, fatherless, a widow... Those are messy situations. Those are broken situations. And typically, the MO of society is when they see a stranger, when they see a refugee, when they see an immigrant, is to ostracize them or to outcast them, to to just keep them there, but just a little bit on the outside. And actually, what we see, what the Lord does, he welcomes them in he brings them in. He has a special place. He watches over those who are the strangers, the immigrant, the widow, the orphaned. And this is huge for us to know, church, because part of us, this is why we need to be in our communities. This is why we need to be in our neighborhoods, because that could be them. They could be fatherless. Your neighbor could be a widow. Your friend could be an orphan and they need to know that there is a God that can be a father for them. The foreigner, the stranger in your neighborhood needs to know that there's a God who can be their refuge and rests. The one who is widowed and broken, they need to know that there's a God who's watching over them, who is caring for them. What a beautiful picture of our God church. And the last thing that we see God do, he demolishes the wicked. Verse nine, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The way of the wicked is one who is bringing praise to themselves. The one that says, God, I don't need you. I got it figured out. I got my own agenda. In reality, right when they think they have everything figured out, God comes in and brings their way to ruin, to destruction. And I think this action of what God does is, is quite fitting to be the last thing the psalmist describes what God does. If you notice from one through six, all these things that God did, right, he, he gives justice to the oppressed, he... he um, feeds the hungry, he sets prisoners free, he gives grace to the humble, he opens the eyes. of God. All those things that God did, it's all about him showing him being a giving God. This eternal king constantly giving out to his creation. But notice the way of the wicked is a taker. They're taking, they're taking the things. I want the praise, I want the glory, this is mine. And what we see God do is to bring that way to ruin. Because that's not who God is. God is a giving God. And we saw all that. So as we've seen this big picture of who God is, his character and what he does, what do we do with all that? We're like, all right, that's cool. Well, the psalmist will actually show us What we should do, and what we should do, and what our response be to God. Look at verse ten with me. Says the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generation, praise the Lord. Church, our psalm is ending the way it started by praising the Lord. But notice there's a small difference between verse one and two and ten. Notice in verse 1 and 2, it's the psalmist saying, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to the Lord. It is the psalmist saying, this is what I'm doing. And now this psalmist has given us this beautiful plea to trust in the Lord. And now look, now to all generations, the confidence of the psalmist to say to all generations, praise the Lord. He's inviting us this morning, church, to praise the Lord. The psalmist knew that our God is not some feeble or fickle worldly prince, but he is a eternal king. So church, the plea for all of us this morning is to not put your trust in the worldly prince, but put your trust in the eternal king. Revelations eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet And there were a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. How amazing is that, church? That the Lord is going to reign forever and ever. When we look at the gospel of Jesus and to go through, we, we tell the story like Jesus lived the perfect life. He died a death that he didn't deserve. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. He resurrected three days later, gloriously resurrected three days later. But there's one piece to the gospel that we really don't talk about. And it's a piece that really brings it all together. When Jesus is resurrected, what we see God the Father do, he exalts his Son. He exalts his son to be on the throne. And what that means, church, since God the Father exalted his son, that means no one or nothing will ever dethrone our eternal King Jesus. What a beautiful hope we have in that. What a beautiful joy we get to have in that truth. So the simple question, and it's really not rocket science at all. What do you trust in today? What are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in some worldly prince who will be here today and gone tomorrow? Are you going to listen to the call of the psalmist to trust in the one who will always be? To trust in the one who will set prisoners free, who will heal the blind, who will feed the hungry, who will give grace to the humble, who will love the righteous, who will bring destruction to those who are wicked. Will you, will you trust in that king this morning? My hope and my prayer is that we all will. Let us pray. Father, we we just praise you. We just scratched the surface this morning, just scratch the surface to, to see how awesome you are, God. to see how powerful you are and how amazing you are, Lord. We just scratch the surface. But Father, I pray that this morning that we all can see how good you are to us, how beautiful you are. How powerful you are so that with confidence, we know that we can trust in you, that we can believe in your son, that we can put faith in Jesus, that we can repent of our sins. So Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's lacking trust in you, who's lacking faith in you, allow today be the day you open the eyes of the blind, that you set prisoners free so that they could see that you are the eternal king. We love you and we thank you and to your glory, amen.